Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. Broadcasting from the Morton studio today, I'm Darren Hefty. We're going to be talking about post-harvest wheat burndown. And if you've driven by any of these fields that were harvested recently, I'm just amazed at how many weeds are coming. I'm not surprised, but I am amazed that uh, that there are just so many weeds popping up out there. And you know, part of it is due to the year that we've had in some areas we're seeing some moisture after wheat has come off. And, and of course, without the cover out there, we're going to have some weeds. So we're going to talk about some of those uh, burn down type options and what you may consider to make that application work on your farm. We're also going to be taking your calls and questions throughout the show today with so many things going on and a lot of different crops around the country at different stages, whether you're already harvesting uh, or you've just completed harvest or, hey, you got a long ways to go. You may have some questions about what's going on. We'd love to help you. If you have an agronomic question, our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Get a number of those emails to get to today. Or find us on Twitter, agphdmedia or Darren Hefty. All right, first of all, the disease pressure. And this is pretty interesting. I, I saw some data from one of the large seed providers uh, in the country. They had sent some information out about disease risks this year in different parts of the country. And certainly it varies depending on where you're at about what disease could be uh, could be a big issue in your area. Uh, common rust is one that I think we're seeing more of that this year across the country than than we've seen in a while generally see just a little bit of this but but haven't had a big issue i i was out doing some scouting last night i noticed a few hybrids that are showing a little bit of common rust but nothing nothing too bad in this area uh, other things that that are of a concern northern corn leaf blight seems to be having a pretty good year especially with growers that we're talking to um, in the central and southern part of illinois and extending out from there it seems to be more northern coming on even than gray leaf spot at this point. But, you know, with moisture, if your area is still getting moisture and um, we've got wet leaves out there for a good chunk of the day, yeah, we've just got good potential for diseases. So that's one where we're getting questions uh, a lot around when should I time a fungicide application. And the simple answer is you want to time it before you see a lot of disease out in your field. You you want to be preventative if at all possible. And if you're already seeing some disease out there, uh, you're already a little bit too late for the ideal protection, but uh, but you want to get going soon. Uh, let's get to the phone lines here. Um, we're, we're getting calls in already. Uh, again, if you want to call and ask a question, uh, 844-44-AG-PHD uh, is the number to call. Uh, I've got Bill on right now. Bill, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you guys? Good, good. Good, good. See, I have a question. My corn is been tasseling for a good two weeks. The silks are kind of starting to turn brown. Is it too late to put fungicide on? No, it's definitely not. Uh, in fact, it may be the ideal time. If you don't have disease on your leaves yet, you could well, be hitting it at right I'm, the ideal time. I'm starting to see some small areas of gray leaf spot. Okay. And it's like, you know, they were supposed to have been out two weeks ago with the airplane, and it didn't happen, and... 
I keep getting put off and put off, and it's like, man, I got to get this done. And so I'm just concerned if it's going to be too late or not. Well, if they could do it right away, that would be great. Well, you know, your best time to do right. it is before you see any disease. Your second best time to do it is now. <laughs> so right. uh, it, it's now. I, mean, I I called my neighbor. He's got a ground rig. He can be out there probably tomorrow. Awesome. So I think I'm going to probably go that way. I was just worried that it, you know, throwing that kind of money into it and you know if that would be just wasting it or i think i've got a pretty darn good crop going right now so and i'm you know i want to get every last bushel i can so yeah absolutely i totally agree with you in fact uh, we were just making the decision for for our farm today as well we um, we were waiting on an applicator to get there with some aerial app and uh he's right. just super booked up and he's had had trouble right. getting to yep. all the acres so uh, we talked to another supplier, and they said, yeah, we can get you in right away. So uh, it, it may just yeah. be, you know what, I might not be able to use my preferred applicator. And like you say, you just go to the backup plan and, and start working and, and try and get it done sooner. Because, yeah, it was the same thing. We had, well, I'm not going to get to you for a week. Well, right. we, we want it done now, and if somebody can, well, then, then we're going to do that. Yeah. Yep. Good. And then, well, hey, oh, field then day the, was awesome. Oh, awesome. Go Thanks, ahead. Bill. Thanks, Bill. Sorry, I cut you off. No, no, it's okay. Say. I was just, I was just gonna say, uh, you know, do you, did you have a product in mind that you were going to be using for your fundercet application? And, well, and if so, uh, hopefully it's something. At with... Wilt or something? I'm not sure. Uh, he had there was one with two modes of action and one with three modes of action. Okay. And and my salesman's going, well, you know, this will heal your gray leaf spot, and it's like, well, I don't think it'll heal it. Nope, nope, it definitely won't. I, I would use right. something with uh, two or three modes of action. I think that would be great. Yeah. Uh, and then yep. I just wouldn't skimp on that. I wouldn't uh, look right. at well, what's the cheapest uh, 40-year-old product I can use. I'd look more at, you know what, what's going to give me the best protection? Because I totally agree with you. If we're going to do it and we're going to spend the money to do yep. it, let's do the best thing we can because I think this crap's going to be worth some money. Well, absolutely, absolutely. You know, and, and I'm pushing for that 300. I don't know. I mean, I've got the, the moisture for it, and I've got the fertilizer for it, but I just want every little thing that I can get. So, Absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, I was just uh, chatting with another grower this morning. He ran short of N. And uh, we had okay. a, a caller on our show yesterday that they couldn't get the nitrogen application. It got too wet for what they were doing, and they were looking at a plan B. And I know this is a, a crazy year, 2019, but... Uh, sometimes it's better to get something done uh, uh, before it gets too late. That's for sure. And I think right. we still have time in right. southern Minnesota to to do a good job protecting. There's a lot more disease pressure to come, unfortunately. What about an insecticide? I mean, it doesn't cost very much to put an insecticide on. I you couldn't know, do it with the airplane. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I think that's a great idea, Bill. Actually, what we're doing with our fungicide application, our corn, we've seen enough bug pressure out there that we're going to be spraying an insecticide as well. Totally agree. Uh, whether it's Hero, uh, uh, two different active ingredient product, or, or something else, I think that would, you'd be well served to do it. And hey, thanks for the call, Bill. We really appreciate it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. 
featuring Extendamax herbicide with VaporGrip technology to manage tough-to-control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field-proven performance of Roundup Ready-to-Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. When looking for someone to help with your risk management, a key component to look for is patience. Patience to bring you along in the process at your own speed. Patience to learn about your operation. And patience to not only discuss what strategies may be effective for your plan, but why they would be effective. That's the strength of Grain PhD. I'm Darren Hefty. When you're ready to become more engaged in your risk management, Grain PhD can assist you with that process. Visit grainphd.com to learn more. What if you could protect your soybean plants and reduce yield loss from white mold? Cobra Herbicide can help you jumpstart the natural defenses in your soybean crop against the heavy yield loss white mold can cause. This season's wet weather, cool temperatures, high humidity, and moist soil are prime conditions for white mold. And Cobra is a cost-effective way for you to help protect your soybeans. Apply now to jumpstart your fight against white mold with Cobra Herbicide. Visit your local retailer today to learn more. Always read and follow label directions. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, and we're going to be talking about post-harvest wheat burndown and whether it's wheat or any crop that you're raising. A real key to profitability is getting the most out of that crop, uh, not just in yield, but also in price. So we've we've started an initiative called Grain PhD. Uh, you can find out more details about that at grainphd.com and get some more education and information about grain marketing options that are available to you. You can also talk to an expert, and we've got one of those experts on with us right now. It's Scott Harms. Scott, thanks for joining us. Good afternoon, Darren. All right. Uh, first of all, before we get started, uh, uh, <laughs> this month has just not been too good for grain prices, but I've been out looking at crops and I've gotten to do a little bit of traveling and you know, the condition is just not great. There are certainly a lot of unplanted acres. Uh, what's going on with our, our grain prices, and do you think that, that they're on track, or do you think they're a little bit off? Well, yeah, it's been a rough, uh, really, last two weeks uh, in the grain markets. Uh, the weather's turned a little more benign. Um, you know, there's certainly some areas of dryness, but we don't have the oppressive heat. And, you know, when we get into the month of July, that's really what ignites markets is when you get um, some throw some heat on uh, the crops and the market really pays attention to that. But really the, the main feature has been lack of news. Uh, we haven't gotten any information on the trade front. Like you say, the weather's been benign. And I think the funds just the funds just wanted to go through some liquidation. It started uh, a couple of weeks ago on uh, the 15th. I think we had that uh, market shot higher on a Sunday night, Monday morning uh, in anticipation of heat. And uh, it failed right away. And that probably should, in hindsight, should have been our sign that it looked like the funds were a little tired with their long positions. They were long about 180,000 contracts. They've reduced that. I think with today's sell-off, which was pretty ugly, um, I think we've gotten them down to probably close to 100,000 contracts or maybe even just below. And I think the other feature, and that we ran into this a lot over the wintertime, and uh, 
uh, the early spring. As we got to the end of the month, we picked up some additional farmer sales as contracts came due, and we dealt with that, uh, seemed like, at the end of the month for several months there. Uh, it didn't happen in May and June because we were worried about the crop, but um, we, um, I think we may have run into that a little bit today. People finally throwing in the towel rather than trying to kick the can down the road. They're running out of time. So just went ahead and let those bushels go. So I think we saw a lot of selling in that regard today. So it's mostly technical. Uh, fundamentally, not a lot has changed. We still have a crop that's in, in, uh, that's not in very good shape, especially as you move to the Eastern Corn Belt. Uh, so, and we're still got a lot of challenges ahead of us. Uh, weather right now is good, but this selling, I think, has probably run its course uh, as we flip the calendar. I think maybe we can look for better prices as we get closer to that August 12th report. I want to go back to, to, to our field day last Thursday, and, and you and I were both on a panel in the Morton Center midday, and we got some questions from the crowd. One of the questions was about selling cash grain and then reowning it with call options. I just was st- speaking with a friend of mine down in Texas. They're, they're just finishing up harvest, and, and he said, man, we just don't want to let these bushels go because we've got some hope that, that the price could be even better. And I know you've talked about this strategy of, of uh, using call options before. But can you talk a little bit more about the pros and cons of this? Because it's it's really becoming reality for a lot of growers right now. Yeah, I think yeah, I remember the question. It's a good question. Uh, you know, I think what what I was indicating that day and leading up to that is because of these unique basis opportunities we've gotten this year, especially in Eastern Corn Belt. Uh, there's been you know I've been a proponent of watching the basis when you get a push in certain in your area, go ahead and let some bushels go and then reown those sales. Uh, with a call option. Uh, the farmer that was there, he asked, you know, he was apprehensive about selling the grain uh, and then buying a call option that's worth 20 cents, adding that uh, to the cost. And that's a legitimate concern. And, um, you know, first of all, if you if you're, um, have a strong basis uh, that or bias, I'm sorry, that prices are going to go higher, then by all means, hold on to the grain if you can, and uh, because you're better off, the more effective way to take advantage of a moat moves is to be long the bushels rather than being long a call option. So, um, however, if you do have to price those bushels, you catch a nice bid, maybe you're running into a time frame where you need to price those, uh, step in and owning a call option uh, makes a lot of sense. You reopen that upside, you get rid of those bushels. So just as an example, if the, if the market goes up, you're better off owning the bushels. The market goes down and down market, you're better off being transferring that risk to that call option. So like for example, like since last Thursday prices have dropped around twenty cents. If you would have bought a call option, you sold those bushels, got a strong market, maybe you were able to take take advantage of a ten cent basis push that's probably not there today, um, and get those bushels sold and you bought a call option for twenty cents, that option that you will own is only gonna go down is probably only went against you around eight cents at this point where the futures went against you twenty cents plus whatever basis slip. So in an up market, hold on to the bushels. That's what uh that's an effective way to to hold on to but unfortunately we don't know that prices are gonna go higher and part of risk management is trying to remove some of that risk. And one of the ways you can reduce it remove that risk is sell those bushels whether you have to or whether you choose to and then look at this option market. In this particular case, you want to look at December options. They would get you through uh, the frost date. We have some people out there buying October call options. You can you can save money by going to a shorter time frame if you want to. Um, but uh, December is with right now with the market being down and a lot of 
people leaving the market thinking that there's not a lot of upside. It takes volatilities down. It's an excellent time to be buying call options. When the market starts going up, they're going to get more expensive on intrinsic value, but the volatility is also going to go up too. So you'll be chasing the market with higher prices later. So if you are willing to step in and own call options, uh, this is an excellent uh, time to do it. But keep in mind, if you do get a strong push-in basis and your price goes up, uh, you don't have to reown it if you don't want to. Just let it go and refocus on 2019 and maybe 2020. So it's just an alternative. You know, if you think you're going to be needing that tool down the road, you make sure you get set up to where you're able to take advantage of it because we've got a lot of things, a lot of moving parts over the next couple of months that are going to probably be drivers in the markets. And there'll be there'll be good opportunities. You can make sure you take advantage. Well, no question. Uh, I mean, you've already said you're expecting this fund selling to dry up as we're moving into August here. But the other big factor is this August supply and demand report coming out on the 12th. So uh, just with your your crystal ball here, Scott, uh, what, what can we expect here in the next couple of weeks? Well, I don't know what to expect. I mean, obviously, but, uh, you know, there's going to be, there is so much information, so much big data dump that's going to be, that's going to happen on the 12th. Uh, it's going to take a little while to digest and this market's going to be very violent. That's also going to drive volatilities up as we lead up to that. Uh, so option premiums will be going up as closer we get to the 12th. But um, we're going to get the updated acreage numbers. They did a resurvey of 14 states. The trade sentiment, I would say, they don't believe that there's going to be a major correction to the downside in acres. I think there should be, and maybe there will be eventually, but it maybe it won't get caught up in this report. Uh, also, on the yield front, they'll update yield numbers as well. They normally, in past years, have done um, and field surveys for the August report, counted ears, counted pods, did population counts. And that data went into the August production report this year. I think it was because of uh, cost-cutting measures they announced in January. They weren't going to do that. So they're not going to have the same kind of information available in August that they normally have. So they'll be relying on satellite data and, and farmer surveys largely. Uh, but the, the news today was came from the FSA office. Uh, an administrator there said that they're going to release uh, prevented planted data that same day. Usually that's, you know, we get a first look at that the middle of the month, maybe a couple of days. You know, we thought we would get it that week. We didn't think we'd get it on the 12th. So there's going to be a lot of information available. The first move in the market, the market's going to react one way. And uh, as we sort through it, uh, it may take some time to digest what this stuff really means. But uh, it's going to you know, it's going to present some opportunities. We should see prices bounce leading into the, that report just on short covering alone. Um, of some of these recent sales, uh, so uh, I think they'll will probably bounce. Uh, we could see a fifteen to twenty cent bounce leading into the report, and then we'll just wait and see what the fireworks are. Yeah, there's definitely going to be some fireworks coming up. There's no question about that. Uh, once again, Green PhD is an educational tool. Uh, if you want to become just more comfortable using futures and options and just the marketing tools that are out there, uh, please reach out for a no obligation consultation or, or just. Uh, check out the information at grainphd.com. And one of those experts that we lean on from time to time is Scott Harms. Scott, thank you so much. Really appreciate all the info. All right. Take care, Darren. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, we're going to get back into a little herbicide discussion, talking about post-harvest wheat burndown options, but it could really come into play for any of you with Prevent Plant Acres this year as well. We'll jump to that topic right after this. Stay tuned. Foliar sprays are only effective if you can get applied product into the plant. 
Nutex EDA is a micronutrient-based additive that delivers the foliar absorption boost you've been looking for. Nutex EDA supports rapid penetration and translocation of both nutrients and systemic crop protection within plants. Research trials have shown a 10 to 20% increase in nutrient absorption and higher tissue levels for a longer period, resulting in higher yields. Use Nutex EDA this season with all your foliar applications. If you're a rancher who's obsessed with keeping your pastures clear, turn to Grayson Next Herbicide. It offers superior broadleaf weed control, so instead of thinking about weeds, you can think about the money you'll save growing more grass and buying less feed. Used early in the season, Grayson Next also provides residual activity that controls newly emerged weed seedlings, giving you season-long control. Start enhancing your land while you protect it. Visit LeaveTheWeedsToUs.com to learn more about Grayson Next. Always read and follow label directions. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Vellum is Rotam North America's Mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm the fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, being able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. As your corn crop grows and the ear begins to form, potassium is at a high demand, almost as high as nitrogen. The same is true for soybeans with similar high demands of potassium during pod fill. Don't fall behind and ensure your crop is getting its potassium with Catalyst. Catalyst by Actigrow has been shown to be the best at entering the leaf when compared to other leading potassium products. Visit k-supercharged.com for more information. You got in the field. Well done. That wasn't an easy task this year. Now give your bean crop everything it needs to get the job done this season. Adding agro liquid fertilizer to post-emerge spraying passes provides your soybeans with the nutrients needed when the plant reaches the reproductive stage. Foliar feeding soybeans can provide the end-season edge you need to economically and efficiently boost yield potential. We can help you develop a successful nutrition program for your soybeans. To learn more, visit agroliquid.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I got my nephew in studio, and man, he's uh, he's fired up to be here today too, which is really fun. Um, it came came with mom to work day, uh, so that's that's kind of what's going on here in the studio. But we're going to be talking about post harvest wheat burn down and what's going on out in these fields following wheat harvest. I know uh, there are small grains uh, soon to be coming out, and and some that are already out, and. We're seeing weeds popping up out there, no doubt about it, this summer. So I want to talk about what your options are. We've got our friend Ryan Hunt with us right now with FMC up in North Dakota. Ryan, how are you doing today? Good. How are you today? 
Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, so we've got some uh, green and weedy fields following small grain harvest in some areas and others uh, that are soon to be harvested. We've, we've been getting some questions from growers about, hey, I've got some weeds popping up. I know I'm going to need a burn down afterwards. Uh, when you start getting those kinds of questions, what are you? where do you go first? Are, are you looking at uh, residual products? Are you looking at just getting the burn down successfully done? Uh, what's the biggest uh, biggest hurdles? You know, it, you know, it kind of comes down to what they're going to plant out there next year too. But I mean, the first thing you want to go after is, you know, think about what what's going on there from harvest. You probably got some winter annuals that are going to start coming once you get rain. Like your mare's tail is going to be real tough. You want that controlled in the fall. That's going to be a big problem, right? And dandelions, all those are you're going to do a lot better job in the fall. But then you probably got, you know, you probably got some kochia out there, other weeds like that. So, you know, a real good option is, you know, get a growth regulator out there, something that'll translocate in, into those roots and take them out. Um, you know, some 2,4-D or dicamba. And if you got, you know, the winter annuals coming, Something dandelions, uh, something with like Express, and it does a really good job on that, like a Panaflex product that we have. You know, there are a lot of different choices that that growers can make. A lot of options out there uh, for for getting these things under control. And you know, you started mentioning some of these winter annuals. That wow, what a challenge we had this year with. Uh, with the mare's tail and how big it got and how tough it was to get out in some of those fields. I, I had a lot of discussions with growers where it started with, I've got to change. I've got to get something done in the fall this year because I don't want to end up in the same boat in 2020. So yeah, starting those fall programs now and really focusing on uh, some of the weeds that are that are popping up and getting a good start uh, here in the late summer and, and early fall is is a great way to begin that program. Okay, Ryan. So you mentioned Panaflex. Talk to us about that a little bit because it's a name that you know. Hey, we've got some really good burndown power there, but we don't talk about that one enough. Yeah, you know, it's fairly new to the market. Um, the big thing with it is it's a mix of Express and Harmony. So two products a lot of people are familiar with from the past. It's it's a heavy load of Express, so that's what's really doing the work on a lot of these winter annuals. So uh, like dandelions, it will do a great job. You got dandelions problems put that down in the fall um any of your other winter annuals as well uh you know and then if you put a little 2,4-D in dicamba with it you're going to be you're going to be looking pretty clean and good going into winter there um then your only other thing would be is if you're concerned about putting out some residual products there to get some of those early spring annuals like your kochia and whatnot that might be coming up right away in the spring before you get out there in the fall now, we talked to a lot of growers that are throwing aim in the tank and, and seeing it heat things up quite a bit. But uh, I've noticed this with aim that there doesn't seem to be clear direction out in the industry in terms of rates. There's a lot of growers that are like, well, I'm only throwing in a really low rate. And, and then other growers that are real comfortable using a stronger rate. And man, they're burning down some big things. What kind of guidelines do you have around aim and, and where do you like to see that for, uh, for a use rate? So for a burn down. Um, smaller weeds, I like to see one ounce per acre. That seems to be kind of the sweet spot. Um, if nothing's getting too big and whatnot. And if you put some MSO with it, it really makes a world of difference heating things up. And then now if you're, you know, if you're doing a post-harvest kind of application or you're doing a, you know, using it in a desiccation, trying to 
dry down some of those weeds. You got say you got some big kochia in your wheat and whatnot, and you want to try and dry that up a little bit before you harvest. We kind of like seeing about an ounce and a half to two ounces. You know, they start getting bigger. You need a lot of water with it, higher rate. Um, coverage is really key with that. And that, that MSO with it really, really helps out as well. Yeah, that's that's a real important point. We'll we'll dive into that a little bit more uh, uh, as we go on here today. But getting that coverage is going to be critical with whatever product you're using, and and it gets to be a challenge if you've got some weeds that get some size to them too. So getting out there and getting it done timely is going to be real critical uh, this summer, no doubt about it. Hey Ryan, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on, and uh, and appreciate the info today. Yeah, thank you. Have a good day. Let's go uh, up to North Dakota again. We've got Ty on with us. And Ty, I hear you're the guy that gets stuck doing all these post-harvest burndowns on your farm. Yeah, that's uh, usually me out there. <laughs> well, uh, you know, when you think about post-harvest burndown, is it different than, than um, you know, other things that you're doing on the field? You got some heat. Is it a dry time of year for you normally here when you're doing this? Yeah, it's usually dry. Um when you spend a week in it, um, and then by the end of the season, you're going right up to the freeze-up, and, and we're trying to figure out if this chemical is going to work when it gets that cold. And um, But, yeah, no, you usually get a pretty good kill right away, and then towards the end, uh, not so not so much. But, uh, you know, we've tried going out in spots, spraying, and, and uh, like you said earlier, you always regret not doing it. And every time we spot sprayed, we'd wish we would have just done the whole field. Yeah, that is a challenge, and especially when you're running big equipment. I know where where you guys are at, uh, kind of in northern North Dakota. Uh, it's big fields and big spray booms, and and yeah, about the time you think oh, I can shut it off for a little bit here, there's a, a small patch 50 feet out that that you just missed. And uh, yeah, for what what we're spending now on these burndowns, it's not uh, not as huge a cost savings as it used to be on the spot spraying for sure. No, no, we've been. Uh, usually we try and keep it pretty cheap with just some Roundup, and uh, and then we double our Bronc. Sometimes we'll throw a little aim in, but we've been uh, been really happy with a uh, heavy dose of Bronc on it. And especially uh, up here on our farm, it's the um, foxtail barley and buckwheat's what we're mostly trying to get here in the fall. How about some of the the winter annual stuff like mare's tail? Do you have a big mare's tail issue on your farm at all? Um. We don't see as much of it, no. No, it's uh, foxtail barley's our big one. Yeah, that's that's a different weed for for a lot of guys. And you know, when you think about Roundup on that, does it take a lot of Roundup to get down into that root system, or or what are you seeing on your farm? Is there a rate that you've kind of found? Hey, if I use this much, I don't have to respray ever. Thirty-two ounces is kind of a go-to. Uh, if we come up to a quarter, it's heavier. We up it a bit, and our big thing is we found uh, if you double your your uh, bronc on it it really heats it up and uh, we've been really happy with that it's kind of a we go from quarter to quarter on it sure sure yeah i think you know when we talked uh, uh, earlier with ryan hunt from fmc he was just talking about some of the different additives that that growers are adding in to heat things up makes a big big difference pushing through and like well where you guys are at it, it can get pretty dry and those leaf cuticles get pretty tough what what kind of season are you seeing so far are you getting enough moisture to, to make a decent crop yeah yep you know we had a 
well, the spring was pretty dry and everything had a slow start to it. And then uh, we started catching some rain there um, early June through June. And, and no, we're really, uh, really happy with the crop we got right now. Um, I know there's some guys starting on uh, wheat and winter wheat just a bit to the south of us there. And uh, they've been dry all all year. Um, but yeah, no, the crop's up, uh, up north here looking pretty good. That sounds good. Well, Ty, hopefully you got a long time until that freeze up. So you got lots of time out there uh, to get your post-harvest wheat burn downs done this year. But really appreciate talking to you today and good luck here the rest of the growing season. Yeah, thanks, Darren. We're talking post-harvest wheat burn down on our show today. And I think we've had a couple of topics come up that, uh, that really get important here, getting good coverage. And we'll discuss that just a little bit more and also spray additives. Uh, those are two things that I think get taken for granted sometimes, but can make a huge difference. Now, if you've got an agronomic question, uh, whether it's related to post-harvest burndowns or to something else, we'd love to help you out. Our phone lines are open at 844-442-4743. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. What if you could protect your soybean plants and reduce yield loss from white mold? Cobra herbicide can help you jumpstart the natural defenses in your soybean crop against the heavy yield loss white mold can cause. This season's wet weather, cool temperatures, high humidity, and moist soil are prime conditions for white mold. And Cobra is a cost-effective way for you to help protect your soybeans. Apply now to jumpstart your fight against white mold with Cobra herbicide. Visit your local retailer today to learn more. Always read and follow label directions. Avoid the V-shaped pattern of injury caused by chemical buildup in your booms. The Express end cap from Hypro eliminates the dead ends that lead to herbicide buildup and provides easy access to your booms, giving a complete flush between applications. Hypro, helping you spray better. The last thing you want after harvesting your grain is to spoil it before it goes to market. The Grain Temp Guard from Farm Shop MFG is a low-cost bin monitoring solution that tracks temperature and humidity and alerts you when conditions exceed safe thresholds. Visit farmshopmfg.com. A pasture should have two things, grass and cattle. No weeds, no brush. That's why Chaparral Herbicide offers the broadest spectrum weed control available. It controls weeds other products can miss, like buckbrush and Canada thistle. And less weeds and brush in your pastures means more forage, so you spend less on feed. Chaparral also suppresses seed heads, lessening the effects of fescue toxicosis, all while providing season-long residual control. Visit NoWeedsNoBrush.com today and learn more about Chaparral. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic insecticides from Atticus, LLC. Unwanted insects are a nuisance, but they're no match for Serpent from Atticus. Serpent delivers economical, fast-acting, broad-spectrum control to help your corn, soybeans, and wheat crops thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Imagine the perfect flow of grain from the field to the bin. Imagine a single rotor that ensures both quality and productivity. An advanced system that optimizes harvest settings on the go. You don't have to imagine. With features like AFS Harvest Command, an axial flow combine from Case IH always delivers the perfect flow for your operation. Find out how. Talk to your Case IH dealer today. Build with the best. When you choose Morton Buildings for your next farm storage building, you'll experience the Morton Advantage at every step, starting before the walls even go up. 
Since the value of our buildings is in its ability to protect what you have stored inside, we ensure that every component is researched and tested to withstand the elements in all weather conditions. And we back it up with the strongest warranty in the business. Looks better, built stronger, lasts longer. Learn more at MortonBuildings.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. Taking your calls and questions throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Let's head back out to the field. We've got Cody in central South Dakota with us right now. Cody, how's it going? It's going pretty good. It's still a little wet out here. Yeah, isn't that amazing? For the end of July, I remember my grandma always talked about this. She said, I never saw a wet June that we weren't begging for rain by the end of July. Well, here we are at the end of July, and we're begging for some sunshine. <laughs> and I'm su- I'm almost we, surprised we, to hear you are, too. We need some heat units really bad. Yeah, no, no well, doubt about everything's, that. Everything's looking, looking fair to, to good for what's been planted. You know, when you think about that, so so there are unplanted acres in your area too, and you know how is that impacting uh, what's going on with pheasants and other things out in your country? Um, actually, it's everything looks good. Our our hatch this year is uh, probably one of the best we've seen in probably ten fifteen years. So it's a uh, it's quite amazing what Mother Nature can do for the for the farmer in the habitat. So it's kind of a, one of those things where you don't know which way it's going to go. Yep. Yep. That's for sure. You know, it was, uh, well, it's been an interesting year for sure. And with this wheat crop, what are you seeing out there? Are you seeing that it's going to be a big need for a post-harvest burn down this year or has weed control been, been above average? Um, it, for what I've seen, we've only just started, harvesting wheat out here last week. I think it was the beginning of last week is when we got started, and then we've been shut down by the rain for the last few days. But i seen the weeds were very small. There wasn't, there's minimal. And then there's also areas where I don't know if it was an issue. The guys didn't get in soon enough to for spraying, you know, your herbicides and stuff. So... They're, they're, it's going to be a hit. Different people are going to have different issues. Sure, sure. Yeah, it, it was a challenge this spring, and I know with all the rain that we had, we were getting calls and questions from growers. Man, I didn't get my weed control on, and now I'm past the stage where I can do it. And it, it was it was definitely one of those years where there's going to be some variation out in the fields. Uh, you know, when you think about it, is kochia uh, the the main weed in your area or what are, what are becoming the driver weeds for you coming out of this wheat crop? Um, I see kochia is somewhat of a problem. I know a lot of guys have been using um, like say husky, for instance, and yep. that really helps take it out uh, you know the guys that i've seen use that there's there's not much issues but then you see some cheat grass and other things like that the the grasses can be a problem too so it might be a grind on some of those cloudy days so to speak yep yep 
Yeah, the cheatgrass issue, uh, well, there's certainly been plenty of moisture out there. I'd, I will be shocked if we don't have some pressure uh, this fall here, too, with some of the new seeding stuff going in. Uh, are you generally right. using Roundup in your burndowns, or is Roundup not completely working on, on some of these weeds anymore for you? Um, Actually, Roundup does a fairly decent job. I uh, I like to use oh, about 40, 44 ounces, so I... I actually pour it to it, and we've been getting a pretty good kill, and then I'll mix in the 2,4-D, Banville, depending on how bad the weed pressures are. And then it, I've also used, like, um, Paraquat or Gramoxone in the past. The thing I found with that is it sometimes doesn't get rid of the grasses, but it does a really good job on your broadleaves. Okay. Yeah, it's been tough. You know, as as uh, growers have gone away from Roundup, they kind of realized, man, that Roundup was really pretty nice on a lot of things, and and grass definitely being one of them. Um, w- one last question for you, Cody. So, on some of these unplanted acres out there, are you hearing talk about cover crop in your area? And if so, uh, is it mainly designed around habitat for pheasants, or is it mainly designed around uh, feed for cattle? I've heard a little bit of both, but mostly for the the cattle industry um a lot of people in my area that are for habitat or for the pheasants you know they have their designated food plots um so and some some people are planting cover crops for soil health also sure sure i've seen that yeah, it's really a mixed bag this year, and and uh, where where Cody's at uh, is right out around the Missouri River in South Dakota. I know we get so many questions about what's hunting going to be like this year and stuff. That's why I ask some of these questions because I know you guys are involved in that, and I really appreciated hearing just a little bit about that because yeah, hearing that uh, pheasant populations are good. That means uh, more travelers coming to our state of South Dakota, and uh, and that's a good thing. Right. Yeah. No, it's it's Mother Nature has been nice to the pheasants, that's for sure. So, very good. Well, hopefully it is to the farmers for the rest of this growing season, and and, uh, and good luck to your farm as well, Cody. Thank you so much. Good talking to you. You too. Thank you. Yeah, it's interesting as as you look at why uh, we're doing some of the things that we're doing, and and I know whenever we bring up post harvest wheat burn down, uh, we get a lot of questions about well, why don't why don't guys just throw a cover crop in immediately? Some of these areas, like where Cody farms. They don't get rain all the time. I mean, there's a lot of years those guys don't see rain in July or August. And just trying to get a cover crop started in time is tough. And uh, many of those growers will end up going back in with some winter wheat. And there just isn't enough time to get that crop established um, and to do any good before the winter wheat planting. So in in many cases, it's we just need to burn down if there's a few weeds out there. And we probably aren't going to catch much rain. So we might get by even with just one burn down before the next crop. And, and this is where um, the discussion really gets to be a little bit different depending on where we're at in the country and what we get for for rainfall because on years like this where rainfall seems to be plentiful even in areas where where guys wouldn't expect it it changes up what some of the options are and um, you know we hear a lot more talk about using residuals like especially sharpen in some of these areas where broadleaf weed control has been been troublesome because a guy could spray a couple ounces of sharpen and and still come back and plant winter wheat um, you know, in a couple of months down the road. So it does leave that window open for um, for their crop rotation. But, uh, of course, if you've got a, a tight rotation window, we, we're hearing 
more guys this year talking about cover crops and saying, you know what, I'm just going to go in with Gramoxone and AIM and, and do some burn down and, and then I can plant anything I want in there uh, for, for a cover without hurting it. That's, that's certainly a choice that you might make as well. Uh, back to the coverage discussion, I think this is one that uh, when we think about where a lot of these acres are that we're doing a post-harvest wheat burn down, it's pretty big acres in many cases, and guys are trying to move pretty quickly to cover a lot of ground. I think the big things are going to be where we're at for our boom height, especially if we're using a dicamba or a 2,4-D, products that have potential for drift and also potential for some volatility. We like to keep those booms down as low as we can. Uh, we'd like to be down um, no more than two feet above the crop. And we're seeing a switch to some wider angle nozzles to allow for a lower boom height. Uh, we're seeing more use of uh, some of the new nozzles, like the 3D nozzles that Hypro has. The coverage has just been fantastic on those. And um, if you haven't switched nozzles for a while, this is a great time to take a look at that. Because in these unplanted acres, if you leave a streak, or I shouldn't say unplanted, in these, um, well, unplanted acres too, but of course in the the wheat burn down acres that we're talking about. If you leave a strip that, that you don't have great coverage on, you're definitely going to notice it out there. It's not going to be hidden by crop canopy in a short period of time. So you want to make sure you're doing a good job getting all those weeds uh, taken care of. So do take the time, check that sprayer over, uh, look at your nozzles. If you haven't replaced them in the last couple of years, it's probably time to get that done. Uh, and then look at what options are out there, like that 3D nozzle that I mentioned. And then finally, last thing, the spray additives. We've had several of the guys say, man, it's made a difference adding MSO. It's made a difference uh, adding some of the other um, high-tech additives that are going to heat things up. Uh, I know this has certainly been the case as, as we've gotten a lot of feedback from around the country about, hey, uh, Gramoxone worked here, it didn't work there, or Roundup worked here, it didn't work there. And many times we've traced it back to what else are you putting in the tank and growers who are adding some of those additives to add additional burn and get faster penetration through the leaves have really shown good benefits from it. Well, stay tuned. We'll jump into the Ag PhD mailbag right after this. Zero. Zilch. Zip. That's the total cases of resistance documented with Manzate ProStick. That's right. Zero. Zilch. Zip. Not all fungicides can say this, but Manzate ProStick from UPL can. This multi-site fungicide not only controls walnut blight, it plays a critical role in delaying the development of resistance, which is why Manzate ProStick is the foundation fungicide in all walnut blight control programs. For a recommendation, contact your PCA. Always read and follow label directions. You got in the field. Well done. That wasn't an easy task this year. Now give your bean crop everything it needs to get the job done this season. Adding agro-liquid fertilizer to post-emerge spraying passes provides your soybeans with the nutrients needed when the plant reaches the reproductive stage. Foliar-feeding soybeans can provide the end-season edge you need to economically and efficiently boost yield potential. We can help you develop a successful nutrition program for your soybeans. To learn more, visit agroliquid.com. Your grain bin fans can cost you a lot. High electric bills from running when conditions are not ideal, shrinkage from overdried grain, and spoiled grain all take money out of your pocket. With the STEPS GMS app temperature humidity switch, get your bin fans to start making you money. Only run vans when the conditions are right. Eliminate shrink and spoilage in your bins. Deliver grain in top condition at market moisture. When every dollar counts, you need STEPS GMS. Contact us today at stepsgms.com. No one has to explain stress to a farmer. 
That's like explaining a missed forecast to a weatherman. Now, Mother Nature stresses soybeans the way markets, bankers, and politics can stress you. But there's a proven way to reduce stress. With Preaxor fungicide, you'll see the difference. It decreases stress from disease, drought, hail, and heat, so your beans can focus on what matters most, better yields. Talk to your local rep about Preaxor fungicide and BASF plant health. Always read and follow label directions. Your independent spirit is more rewarding than ever before. Unlike incentive programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. You decide what's best for your operation, from pre-plant to harvest. Your retailer and FMC take care of the rest. It's really that simple. The exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing of the FMC Freedom Pass program make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. That's what we mean when we say we give you more freedom in the field. You'll experience more control and confidence, too. Generics and imitators can't promise that. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more. Hey everybody, come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin. Welcome back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We've reached the Ag PhD mailbag time. If you have a question for us, uh, you can either give us a call at 844-442-4743. That's 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can catch us on Twitter, Ag PhD Media, or Darren Hefty. Or find a, an email, or I'm sorry, send us an email, radio at agphd.com. I uh, got, got an email I want to jump into here. This one's from Matt, and he said, I'm looking ahead to fall fertilizer application, and in our farm we need to raise our sulfur levels. We've spent years trying to raise our pH up with lime. I'm wondering, will sulfur applications hurt our pH and make it go lower? Hey, Matt, thank you for the question. We really appreciate that. And uh, I know it's tricky when you're when you're trying to adjust soil pH on your farm. And then again, I would assume it's a little tricky when you get things perfect. Uh, I know that's been a struggle on our farm trying to get it just right. Uh, and it, it takes a lot of work. But but hey, if you got your pH right in that correct range, uh, I understand your concern. Because we talk a lot about using elemental sulfur along with good drainage to help us lower our soil pHs. Uh, the, the difference here, though, Matt, is you're probably not going to be applying that much sulfur. Now, we're talking about hundreds of pounds per acre, and you're looking at applying what you're going to need for your crop. And most crops, you're probably applying somewhere between 25 and 50 pounds per acre. And at that rate, I don't expect any long-term change in soil pH, especially if you're broadcasting that. So, uh, no, I, I wouldn't be worried about it. I think you're going to be using a low enough rate. You'll be just fine. Uh, if you had any specific soil tests or anything you want us to look at, we sure would. But but uh, no, uh, if you're just applying enough for one year, I don't think you're going to have any any issue at all. All right, thanks for the question, Matt. Got one here from Rob, and Rob is up in Manitoba. And Rob said, I'm wondering about applying boron and other micronutrients when my corn is tasseling. Is this safe for me to do? Uh, also, he says, thanks for all that you do and the information that you're providing. Hey, Rob. Uh, 
appreciate the question. You know, this is something on our own farm that we're we're doing right now. Uh, so we've got corn uh, anywhere from just tasseling to stuff that we've already got brown silks on. So we're going to go out in the fields with the with the brown silks. So we're at R2. And at that stage, we aren't going to impact pollination one, one iota. So we're super safe at that point putting it on. The question is, are we too late? Um, you know, if you're already tasseling, then if it was me, I would just give it another few days, wait till you get to brown silk so you know the, the pollination is all complete, and then I would go ahead and do it. Now, if you said, well, I'm only at V10 right now, I got a ways to go, then I'd say, you know what, this would be a great time to do that. And before tassel, the big thing is not to have any kind of surfactant in the mix. So if you're just putting out a little bit of boron and some other micros, I think that's just fine. We've been doing that on our farm. We haven't seen any issues with that. Um, obviously, there's there's certain types of each fertilizer that have a little less crop response or burn than others. So you want to pick something that isn't going to burn a lot. But uh, if you're using normal foliar nutrition that uh, that's been used for for you know, plenty of time and you know, it's not going to hurt anything. Yeah. I'd either do it before tassel or I'd wait till brown silk. I wouldn't do it right when you're pollinating just so you don't take any chances that, that you abort any of those kernels. Hey, thanks a lot for the question, Rob. We really appreciate that. And good luck to you here. Hopefully, uh, hopefully I have enough heat units to, to still make it. It's starting to get a little bit late. I know on some of this corn on our farm, I'm thinking about, gosh, once we get pollination done, I need another 60 days here, and that's already putting us out to the 1st of October. So hoping uh, hoping we, we luck out, and our normal frost date is, um, I think, the 5th of October, something like that. So uh, I think we should be fine as long as we don't get the early frost. Okay, got a question from Dwight, uh, and he said, uh, you guys had mentioned in an earlier uh, episode about spray performance around chlorine in rural water and the chlorine neutralizing biologicals. I was just wondering what products are you recommending to take care of the chlorine and other pH adjustments in the water? Hey, Dwight, thanks for the question. We really appreciate that. And uh, as we look at adjusting pH, we've been talking about what we're using on our farm is a product called Water Right, uh, but there are other pH adjusting products. The big thing would be test your water pH. Uh, it's pretty simple to get um, pH strips. You don't have to spend a whole bunch of money on it and do anything super fancy, or you can get a little um, digital display um pH tester if you'd like to do that too. Either way, uh, we want to test every batch of water every time we're going out there just to to see, okay, we're putting water in from this source, whether it's from a well or rural water or whatever, and then we're going to add these certain products. How does that change the pH and, and what are we looking for? Uh, ideally with our pH, with a lot of our nutrients that we're putting out, uh, we want to be lower. We'd like to be down in the five or six range. Uh, but there are certainly some herbicides that would prefer a more neutral pH. Um, so you just have to talk to your provider depending on what you're spraying. Uh, you mentioned the chlorine specifically uh, in addition to the water rate that we're putting in to, to adjust pH to where we want it to be. We're also using a product called BioPrep. Uh, it's a real low use rate, low cost product, and its only job is just neutralizing the chlorine. Uh, so that's that's what we're doing. We've seen better microbial survival. So if we're putting on a biological type product with beneficial microbes, that's what we're doing. We're adding water right 
and BioPrep, uh, and their cost breaker is pennies. So it's it's not expensive at all to do, but it makes a huge difference. Uh, in fact, last week at the Ag PhD Field Day, we had a bunch of petri dishes that that we had done bacterial cultures and also fungal cultures, uh, and used water right and BioPrep, and it was amazing to see how much more development there was when you put those additives in the water. So we're not killing off any of our beneficial microbes. Uh, the other question that you may have is, is just, okay, let's just say I just mix stuff up and go out and spray it out real fast. Well, even if you're going out and spraying it real fast, chances are it's probably still going to take you some time, an hour or more, uh, depending on how many acres you're getting out of each batch. Uh, and in that amount of time, it's amazing how fast chlorine does its job because why are we putting the chlorine in the water? Well, to kill microbes off and, uh, and keep that water safe for us to drink. Uh, but that's fine. But when you're using that same water to try to deliver helpful microbes out into your crop, uh, you want to make sure you're protecting things. Thanks for the question, Dwight. We really appreciate that. All right. Got to get a question here. This is from Daniel. And he's in Northeast Nevada. And he said, I'm a huge fan of your radio show. Uh, came back to the family farm just a few years back. And he said, I'm right now at an ag GED level. And I just thought that was funny that, that you added that comment in, Dan. I uh, said, okay, I'm writing because I've got some sweet corn doing some, doing some weird things. Uh, we're at V6, V7. We've got multiple tillers, as many as three to four per plant. Several stocks are developing multiple ears. Many have three showing. I've counted some with even more. Uh, just wondering, uh, is this a problem? Are we going to have issues developing any of those ears? Uh, it's a sweet corn variety that we grew last year, and it did produce nice, fully developed ears. Some of the plants are producing two ears per stock, but nothing like what we're seeing right now. And yeah, the thing that concerns me is just that it's happening at such an early stage. Uh, as far as the tillers go, I like seeing tillers out there. I don't have any issue with that at all. Uh, and when you're talking about multiple ears, I'm just kind of curious, you know, what what that looks like. I'd love to see a picture of that. Um, but we do see that from time to time uh, in fields. Sometimes we'll see multiple ears at the same node or on the same shank. Uh, and I've heard that called bouquet ears before, uh, which, you know, can be an issue. It may or may not pollinate well, uh, but but a lot of times it doesn't end up being an issue. There ends up being one ear that kind of dominates things. Uh, the other comment that you had was uh, that, that your planting population, somewhere in the 25 to 30,000 plants per acre, uh, with imperfect germination. And that's, a, that's another thing that could definitely be a factor here is if you have some plants that didn't make it and now there's some more space around each of these plants. I guess I would, my follow-up question would be, you know, if you've got multiple ears showing, is that in an area where uh, the plant on either side of it didn't make it? Because uh, we'll see plants adjust that way and either put on bigger ears or occasionally more ears uh, in those, those conditions. So... Yeah, you mentioned about the soil testing that, that you didn't have a real current soil sample for that. I mean, you can certainly look at it. It looks like your fertility program is fine uh, from the details that you left in your question here. So, yeah, are you in trouble? Um, I'd be a little nervous just from the standpoint that it's happening so early in the season, but uh, I don't think it's uh, till it up and try over. I don't think you have time for that, number one, but I, I don't think it's necessarily a disaster. I'm not nervous about the tillers at all. Uh, I just would be curious to see some pictures of what's going on there because we don't see that very often 
uh, happening out in fields. And thanks for the question, Dan. Really appreciate that. Thanks to everybody who sent in questions today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. Now, stay tuned for Rob Sharkey at Shark Farmer Radio. <laughs>